0: Since 9 billion shoebox gifts to children in over 130 countries. It's awesome the way we see smiles
1: on the children's faces, children who would never have received a Christmas gift.
0: All of these children right here, every box that's been opened, it comes with a prayer. And this gives us an opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So thank you for your support, thank you for your prayers. Every box is important.
1: Shoeboxes!
0: All across the country, millions are discovering the power of packing a simple gift. A
1: couple little paintings. This is a girl's box.
0: I put a towel
1: in my box. Some purses and a coloring book and crayons. Five to nine years old. She's going to have a good time. You talk about a fun project for your family to be involved in at Christmas time. It doesn't get any better than this.
0: Thank you for your support of Operation Christmas Child. Pray for us as these boxes go out that we'll be able to communicate God's love to each and every child. You see, I want them to know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God bless you, and a Merry Christmas.
1: Well, we're entering into... A great season again here at Timberline with a number of different ways to to be a blessing in the lives of others. The video says it well, but this is the eighth year that Timberline has participated in Operation Christmas Child. Last year, just from Timberline congregants alone, we packaged, we sent out over 900 boxes uh, around the world because Timberline is the northern Colorado hub For Operation Christmas Child, volunteers from Timberline, including what we did here, were able to process and send out over 10,000 boxes uh, around the world to share the love of Christ. Yes, praise God for that. Worldwide, last year over 8 million children uh, were served, and this this effort grows every year. So we expect uh, more this year. We would like we've made it our goal here to, just at Timberline, to have over thousand families participate, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. The key to this really is. The, the thing that, that I love the very most about it is these gifts are not given in isolation in different parts of the world, but they are truly in partnership with some very strategic Christian ministries around the world. They are given to children in need as a tool and a a way of sharing the love of Christ uh, in partnership with those ministries. So a a great chance that we have to be a part of those ministries around the world. Uh, Stop by table number two as you go out the main auditorium today to your right. Table table number two, there are uh, volunteers there to give you boxes. If you can provide your own box, that's great because we only have enough for half so, ladies, uh, this could be an opportunity to buy a new pair of shoes if, if, if you're tracking. You probably already thought of that before I said it. Um. But stop by. They have all, all the information. There's right next to uh, Carrie Goshiman, our missionary from Guatemala, is there. Uh, so, so stop by. There's also opportunities because of our expanded role here at Timberline to volunteer in the processing of all of these packages that come in from other sources. So you can ask about that as well. We will drop off in the next two weekends so you can pick up a box and then drop it off. Uh, with the gifts and such in the next couple weekends. So hope you hope you have an opportunity to be a part of that
0: Awesome. Would you say thank you to Pastor Mark Orphan? Love to meet you his pastor. Good stuff uh, I hope you'll get involved in that because Christmas is only it's less than two months away <laughs> Are you excited about some of you need to get be a part of this ministry just so you can change your attitude Excited about Christmas. My, uh, my parents were in town last night from Colorado Springs and they brought with them four little ornaments for us to put on our tree. So I told Joy, the tree's going up today. She said, No, it's not. And I'm talking about conflict today. So we're going to have some of that when I get home today. No, not really. Not really. It's good to see you. I hope you're doing well today on a beautiful fall day. Uh, How many of you have enjoyed this series on Esther? I hope that you've enjoyed it. I have thoroughly. Amen. Me too. I just feel like I've been learning a lot. I so appreciate the last three weekends with Pastor Jeff and then Pastor Derry prior to that. Pastor Derry will be back next weekend. And so I have the uh, privilege of of sharing in this series in Chapter 5 of Esther that we'll get to here in just a few moments. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked to us about the idea of living bravely. And this is a story about bravery and courage. It actually, when you think about the story of Esther, it has all the ingredients of a blockbuster motion picture. It has all of it. It's it's got mystery, it has suspense, there are secrets in the story, there's tension, there's bad guys, there's good guys, and there's a star of the of the story, the heroine named Esther, this young lady who was selected by the king of Persia to be the queen, to be his wife. And Esther has a secret in the story. It's a secret that the king is unaware of, and that secret is that Esther is a Jew. And he doesn't know that. And so there's a lot of drama that unfolds. And now we realize that there's a plot that has been set in place by a bad guy by the name of Haman. Pastor Jeff told me to expect that. (laughs) He also said not only was there hissing in Jewish tradition, but there was spitting. So if you're going to do it, do it all. (laughs) Not really. Not really. (laughs) and this guy has has instigated a plot that has actually been the king has allowed to be sealed by his signet ring that all Jews are going to be eradicated from the kingdom. They're all going to be killed. And so there's this plot at hand. And so Esther's cousin Mordecai, who actually raised Esther in the absence of her parents, Mordecai, her cousin, took her in, adopted her as his own, and raised her. Mordecai lets Esther know about this plot to kill all of the Jews and tells her she's got to do something about it. How many of you remember how remember the show Mission Impossible? You remember that show way back? This is a great plot for a, a Mission Impossible show. If this were Mission Impossible, Esther would be given her, her tape, and she would plug it into her tape deck on her Camel GT or whatever she would <laughs> plug that into. And the tape would say something like this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this. Esther, you must approach the king who has not called for you in a month, which, by the way, Esther, is illegal for you to do that and is punishable by death because you just don't go see the king whenever you want to. He has to call for you or he could kill you. If you're still alive, Esther, after revealing yourself to the king, then you must reveal your secret that you've been keeping from your husband, the king. You've got to tell him that you're a Jew. If after that revelation, you're still alive, then somehow you need to figure out how to get the king to reverse an edict that's been sealed by his own signet ring, keeping in mind that any edict sealed by the king's signet ring is irreversible. So somehow you've got to get this king that you're going to tell you've been deceiving about who you are and your origin, that that he needs to reverse this edict that cannot be reversed. And don't forget that this king is not known for his cool headedness or rational responses. This will probably be seen as a blow to his pride. And this tape will self-destruct in 10 seconds. (laughs) I mean, that's the mission. This is a crazy, impossible mission for this young Jewish girl named Esther. Now, we've titled the message this weekend dealing with conflict. How many of you would agree that Esther has some very serious conflicts she has to navigate here and head into? Very difficult conflict. Now, the word conflict is a challenging word because we use it for a lot of different scenarios. All right, we talk about the conflict in the Middle East, for example, where people are dying. And then we also use the same word to describe a coworker who sends us a sarcastic email. And we say we have conflict with that co-worker. We talk about conflict between North and South Korea. And then we talk about an argument with our mother-in-law over how to discipline our kids. And that's still the word conflict. And so it seems kind of silly. I was talking to Pastor Jeff this last uh, week and said it it almost feels kind of silly for us to try to compare our conflict with the kind of conflict Esther is facing in this story. I mean, it's almost like, you know, a guy says, well, there's this guy at work who was rude to me. What should I do? And we go, well, that's a lot like Esther's story. (laughs) No, that's nothing like Esther's story. We tell the first guy, get over it, right? I mean, that's the counsel. But for Esther, it's a whole different scenario here. It's unlikely that any of us in this room will ever have to face conflict that, that could result in our own death, much less that could result in the genocide of a people group. That's what's hanging in the balance here in the conflict that Esther has to navigate. However, I would suggest that what we learn from Esther and how she handles this conflict and moves forward into it can provide for us some great insight in how we handle conflict. Because as long as you are alive, you're going to have conflict. As long as you interact with other people, you don't even have to interact with other people. If you're like me, I conflict with myself often. You're going to have to navigate conflict. And I think we can learn some things that are applicable for us through this story. Now, last weekend, Pastor Jeff shared with us what are probably the two most popular, well-known phrases in the whole story of Esther. And that is when Mordecai is convincing Esther... That that she needs to do something about this. And the way he convinces her is he says, who's to say, but, but, but what you have been exalted to this place for such a time as this. It's one of the best known phrases in the story. For such a time as this. One of the other best known phrases is how she responds when she basically says, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, then I die. But I'll do it. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing I want us to observe in dealing with conflict is that it requires a resolve to actually deal with conflict. A resolve to actually deal with conflict. Now, that seems like a given in light of the title. All right. Dealing with conflict. Obviously, you have to actually deal with it, but it's not a given for most of us in our lives. The truth is many of us in this room would much rather run from conflict than deal with conflict. We would much rather avoid it than have to go headlong into the uncomfortable feelings and the challenges of navigating conflict with a person or or with a party that's involved. Why is it that we, we have this tendency to avoid conflict? I asked that question this week in our chapel. Once a week at Timberline, our employees, we have a chapel together, and I asked our employees, why do human beings by and large, have a tendency to avoid a run from conflict. And they had some great insight. One said that um, because there, there's this fear that dealing with it might actually make it worse. Have you ever felt that way? That if I bring this up, if I actually have this conversation, it probably is just going to get worse and not better, so I'm not going to deal with it. Or one said that if I deal with it, I'm afraid it may actually expose and reveal some things about me that I have to own in this conflict. As long as I don't deal with it, I can believe it's all their fault. But if we actually start dealing with it, it may come out that I'm guilty on some things, too. Someone else said that sometimes conflict seems so complex. It's like this tangled web that it feels overwhelming and and, and we just don't think we can solve it. Or I don't think I can win it. I can't untangle all this web, so it's better not to deal with it. Whatever the reasons may be, many people have this tendency to run from conflict Rather than deal with it think about this when it comes to church life We have conflict in church life In fact, I would say that there are church auditoriums all across the city who have people in them Some of whom have run from conflict from a different church auditorium in a different part of the city Now in paul's day, you couldn't do that because there was nowhere else to run. I mean, there was the church in Jerusalem. That was it. There was the church in Antioch or the church in Ephesus. You couldn't run anywhere. You had to stay there and you had to work it out. But, but I met a guy last week who's from a small town in Oklahoma. We sat down and had coffee and he said in this small town in Oklahoma, there's 18,000 people and there are 55 evangelical churches in this little town of 18,000 people. So you run from conflict there, you got 54 more options to go to before you exhaust where you can run. In Timberline, a church of this size, you could just run to a different service. It's like, why do you come at 10? Well, because that jerk comes at 8.30. I don't want to sit by him. Now, Don't misunderstand me. There are legitimate times to make a change. There are legitimate times to, and and sometimes resolving conflict is agreeing to disagree and, and going a different direction. There are appropriate times to do that. Paul and Barnabas had that scenario in the book of Acts. They had a disagreement. They had conflict, and their solution was they went different paths. They still loved each other. The conflict was resolved. They just chose to approach it differently. There's appropriate times for that. But running from conflict is never the appropriate time or way. And so we have to face the conflict. We have to recognize that. For some of us, we just ignore it. We don't run from it. We just pretend that it doesn't exist. We bury our head in the sand and play like it never happened in the first place. How many of you have lived long enough to realize that conflict usually never just goes away by itself? Have you seen that? Usually, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with the conflict. All right? So what does Esther do? How does she deal with it? Well, it still goes back to what we talked about last weekend. Last weekend, we see that Mordecai uh, uh, gets her, convinces her she has to deal with the conflict. So what she does next is she says, "Okay, Mordecai, I need you to find every Jew you can find and get all of them to fast for me for three days. And I'm going to take my assistants, my handmaids, and we're all going to fast for three days. So she gets all of them gathered around her and for three days they fast and they seek God. So the second thing in your outline, then once you resolve to deal with conflict, we need to go to God first. That's what Esther did. She went to God first. If we're going to adequately deal with conflict, it's important that we go to God first. Esther doesn't just barge into the king's presence and start making demands before she does anything For three days, she fasts and she seeks God. And she gets everyone she can to do the same with her. Now, oftentimes, as I think about this, this is where people often miss the mark. Once we resolve to deal with the conflict, then then there are two typical responses when it comes to conflict. One is flight, F-L-I-G-H-T. That's what we just talked about. We run from it. The other one is fight, F-I-G-H-T. Where we go in guns a-blazing and we make our point and we try as best we can to win the argument. As I was thinking about this message, I think this is where I miss it most, personally, in my life. I've done this long enough to, to really see the value of dealing with conflict. So I don't typically run from it. But sometimes I run right to the conflict instead of running to God first. And some really great things can happen. If I'll just run to God first, if I run to God first, then I have an opportunity to respond instead of react. There's a big difference between responding to conflict and reacting to conflict. I have a much better response when I go to him first and I allow him to shape that response than when I just react out of the emotion that I feel. From the experience that I've had that's created this conflict. So I was thinking about things that can happen. This is in your outline, but you can jot down some of these words. One of the things that happens when I go to God first in dealing with conflict is that he can adjust my perspective. My perspective can change if I go to God first. See, God can help me see it differently because when I'm in the middle of conflict, when I'm in the heat of that, especially when it hits close to home and, and it's, it's kind of personal, and I'm speaking largely of negative conflict. There are some healthy aspects of conflict, okay? especially organizationally. If you're involved in a business or some sort of organization, the exchange of ideas and the disagreement and the conflict that disagreement brings, not personal conflict, that can actually help you make better decisions. I'm not talking about a healthy conflict. I'm talking about negative conflict. And when, when I'm in a, a situation of negative conflict, I have a tendency to create a filter in my mind and I see everything through that filter. And if I go to God first, I give him a chance to help get rid of that filter so I can really see what's happening. Have you ever have you ever anticipated conflict with someone? And in your mind, you play out the argument and in your mind, you kind of put words and what they're going to say to you. And then when they say that, I'm going to say this. Ooh, that's a zinger. That's a good one. And then if they do this, I'm going to do this. Have you ever done that? And you create this monster that you're arguing and that person hasn't said a word. But you've already shaped in your mind what they're like what their personality is like and why they're so messed up And it's all created in your own mind when I go to God first God helps me clear away those filters He helps change my perspective. He can even give me compassion for the other person involved in this conflict He can remind me that that maybe they've gone through some difficult things That have led to this and they've experienced this disappointment or this pain or whatever it might be In other words, when I go to god first, I give him the chance to change me first Before I ever go in to the conflict There are there are times when i've gone to god first Before going into conflict when god's helped me realize that the conflict is really it's really me My conflicts not with them. It's me. Have you ever had a personality conflict? Have you ever had someone that just rubs you the wrong way? Don't point. Oh, of course, they're probably not here. They go to the other service, right? <laughs> escape them. I mean, we, we've had that before, you know, where it's just a personality conflict. There have been a couple times in my life where I have felt that. And in going to God first, you know what I feel like God spoken to my heart in those situations? He said things like, you just don't like the way I made them, do you? Talk about changing your perspective and bringing humility. And I've come to realize that some things I thought were conflict were really just my self-centeredness and my pride and being upset that they don't think the same way I think. And, and, and sometimes in those cases, you don't even have to have the conversation, the conversations with God to say, God, I'm sorry for being so arrogant and so self-centered, and that fixes the conflict. Okay, so perspective. Another thing I wrote down was when we go to God first, we can get wisdom from Him. We get His wisdom. He's able to, to shape the direction we go. We not only need bravery to deal with conflict, we need wisdom. One of the best questions we could ask is, what's the wise response in this conflict? When I go to God first, it puts me in a place where God can influence my life and influence that response, where I can actually be led by His Holy Spirit in how I deal with the conflict that is in front of me. You know, part of going to God first is going to His Word. What does His Word say? Now, there's not a scripture in verse that will say when you get a rude email, this is how you, thou shouldest respondeth. This is, you won't find that, okay? But you will, you will find a lot of insight on what should shape our attitude and what our approach should be. You will find things like a list of the fruit of the Spirit. That if we're followers of Jesus, we should bear fruit that, that looks like love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, those kinds of things. You will find statements like we are to speak the truth in love. Which means we should never divorce truth from love and never divorce love from truth. In Matthew chapter 18, you'll find a great process to deal with conflict when we have conflict with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So go to his word. What does his word say? How does that need to shape the way that you approach this conflict? Going to God first can even result in a strategy, and that seems to be what happened here uh, with Esther. Esther chapter 5. We're now going to get to the text. How many of you are nervous? We're just now getting to the text for the day. It doesn't matter. You really think the Broncos are going to win? It doesn't really matter. So we've got time. Just kidding. Yeah, that got more hisses than Haman. Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) Esther chapter 5. Look at Esther chapter 5 verse 1. Here's what it says. This is coming out of that three-day fast. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. Now imagine if this was the movie, and this is what's playing out. Just picture this scene in your mind. So she goes into that inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall. And so you can see the camera panning. It hits Esther, then the king. He hasn't seen her yet, and it's building up. He was facing the entrance, verse 2, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court. And at that moment, it zooms in on his face and the music begins to build and there's a long pause. He was pleased. He was pleased with her, which is a really good thing, because if he wasn't pleased with her, she dies. That's the culture Esther is living in. Legally, the king could kill her. Because he didn't ask for. And so thankfully, he's pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Another way of saying anything you want. You just tell me, what is it you want? Verse 4, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. Here it comes. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. What, what is that about? Why doesn't she just come out with it? Why doesn't she just say, here's what the deal is. Instead, I mean, here she is. Apparently, some sort of strategy has emerged in her heart and mind coming out of three days of fasting and seeking God. Because it says she already prepared a banquet. It was already ready. And so she invites them to come to the banquet. I mean, she knows, you know, the fondness the king has for banquets. Every woman knows the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And she knew that. And so she has a banquet. They've eaten some food. They've drank some wine. And the king says, what is it? What do you want? And she says, let's do this again tomorrow. (laughs) What is that about? I mean, we don't really know for sure. Scripture doesn't say. Some suggest that maybe she got scared. And maybe she just thought, I need another pass at this. I just can't do it tonight. I'll see if I can muster the courage tomorrow It doesn't seem likely in light of the resolve that she had to, to do what she was going to do. Maybe she didn't even know. Maybe she was just going in the moment and it, she felt prompted in her spirit by the Holy Spirit to say, Let's, now's not the time, we do it tomorrow. Maybe she had this plan all along, the whole thing planned out in her mind. What we do know is that in the 24 hours between the first banquet and the second banquet, some incredible things happen. Some amazing things happen. Unfortunately for you, we don't have time to talk about those things today. And so you're either going to have to read ahead or come back next week to learn what happened. Because it's an amazing thing that takes place between those two banquets. But here's what we see. We see Esther resolving to deal with the conflict. We see her going to God first. And then thirdly, we see her responding in humility and obedience. We have to respond in humility and obedience. God was up to something in those 24 hours between those two banquets. God was working. And Esther really didn't know all of what God was doing behind the scenes. She could have messed it all up if she hadn't stayed humble and obedient. But God was working. Just because God's silent, it doesn't mean that he's still God works to accomplish his purposes on this earth and he uses people to do it. Now, it's true. God can use anything and anyone, but he seems to prefer to use people who are willing to walk in humility and obedience to him. That's who it seems God prefers to use to accomplish his purposes on the earth. And see, that's why going back to going to God first, that's why it's so important. Because going to God first, it, it works on our pride. It chisels away at our pride, and it helps us to not just rush into conflict arrogantly. It helps us not get ahead of God and ahead of His plan. It helps us to not just seek our own, our own agenda, but to seek God's agenda. One of the things I've discovered is that in conflict... God seems to be a lot more interested in winning hearts and achieving outcomes that glorify him than in making me look good. And I've discovered that my agenda always ends with me looking good. It always somehow ends with me looking right if it's going to be my agenda. But God doesn't seem to care much about that. He cares more about situations that result in bringing him honor and bringing him glory. And that's why going to God first is It is the key to dealing with conflict because I don't trust myself on my own to have the motivations that are correct that will bring the most glory to God. I need him to shape that in my life. And by the way, humility does not does not mean weakness or passiveness. Though Esther was humble and obedient to God, she was very strong and very firm. So the final point that we need to talk about in dealing with conflict is that we have to let God work. Let God work. Esther was willing to let God work. She had to trust God in this situation. She had already resolved in her heart that if this ended in her death, then she would rather die in the direction of God's heart than live and do nothing. She had already resolved that. But I wonder, what was it like in those 24 hours between banquets for Esther? I wonder what went through her mind. I wonder if she ever thought, oh man, I've messed up. I should just go back and tell the king what's going on. Or I wonder if there was ever a fleeting thought, maybe, maybe I shouldn't ask for this. This is going to end bad. Maybe I'm going to have the banquet. And when he comes in, I'm going to say, you know, my request is that I found this really nice dress at Zachariah Gucci Boutique. And I just really want to get a, a new dress. How many of you have ever been to Zachariah Gucci? It doesn't exist. I wonder what she thought. She had to come to a place where she said, I trust God and I'm going to let him work. I'm going to let God do what God wants to do. Even when I get the first three steps right, I have trouble with this one sometimes. Even when I do the first three, there still is a tendency in my life, sometimes a temptation to try to help move God along when it's not happening as fast as I would like to see it happen. Have you ever, have you ever felt like God's timing just is, is too slow? Sometimes I feel that way. Uh, or sometimes I want to change strategies and take it into my own hands when the people involved in the conflict don't respond the way that I want them to respond. Because let's face it, we can, we can choose to respond to conflict. We can resolve to do that. We can go to God first. We, we can, we can be, do it with humility and obedience, and it can still be greeted with hostility or arrogance or defensiveness or denial or accusations or whatever it might be. People will not always respond the way we want them to. And that's why some of you have stopped dealing with conflict because it's gone bad for you in the past. Listen, I've concluded over the years that I cannot change another person's heart. I can't do it. Only God can do that. And so my responsibility is to walk humbly before God and to walk in obedience to him and then let him work. Leave it to him. Letting him work does not mean pretending that the conflict doesn't exist, but sometimes resolving the conflict involves pulling yourselves out of a situation or setting certain boundaries in your life. But you have to give God space to work and you have to trust that he's working. And that means we have to be patient and patience is hard enough, much less when we're in the midst of conflict. Patience is even worse when we're in the midst of conflict. So here it is very simple resolve to actually deal with the conflict go to God first respond with humility and obedience and let God work Whatever the nature of conflict whether it's big or small. I think those things can help us and guide us. They're very simple, but far from easy They're a challenge to actually live out So I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And close your eyes and I, as I was preparing this message. I, I felt in my heart a few different groups of people to pray for. The first one is for those of you that are here and maybe maybe through the course of this talk, God has has pinpointed an area in your life where you actually are running from conflict. You're avoiding
1: it at all costs.
0: Some of you are pretending it doesn't even exist. Others, you know it exists, but you're just avoiding people involved. Maybe you've been doing it for a long time. And you just sense the firm. And yet loving conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to deal with this. You don't have to deal with it alone. I'm going to do it with you. And I'll guide you and I'll direct you. But you've got to face this conflict. You've got to face this adversity. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand and just say, include me in this prayer. I know God's prompting me. I've got to deal with this conflict. Thank you. Thank you, many of you. Thank you for being honest. The second group of people that has been on my heart this week are those of you that... You're going back in your mind over conflict in the past that you reacted to very badly. And, and it did damage. It, it may have done more damage than the conflict itself. And, and you realize you didn't respond after going to God. You reacted. And you didn't represent Jesus very well. And the truth is, you may, in the original conflict, you may have been more right than the other person. But the way you reacted... It really didn't represent Jesus. And you sense God speaking to your heart and prompting you to, to maybe go back and and fix some things if you can. Make a phone call, write a letter, have coffee. Well, I don't know what it would looks like, but you just realize you didn't go to Him first. You didn't respond with humility and obedience. You you were angry. You reacted from from a different place. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, to see it, I need God to help me. Thank you so much for being honest. And then finally, there's there's one other group that's been on my heart, and that is those of you in the middle of conflict right now. You're there, and and you're at that patient stage. You're trying to let God work. You're doing your best to be humble and to be obedient, but you are just worn out, just weary. You just want it to end. You're trying to trust that God's working, but you're not seeing a whole lot of fruit right now. And you just really need God to give you the strength and the grace to endure, to just keep going, to just keep being obedient. If you're in that place, would you raise your hand right now and pray for you too? Yeah, thanks. God, you see all of our, not just our hands, but our hearts. We lift them to you. You know, you know the depth of the conflict that we've had or are having or are running from. Would you give us strength today? Lord, would you give us wisdom? For those of us that have been running from it, avoiding it, God, we don't know how to go forward. We don't, we don't have the answers on how to do it. So we're going to go to you first, but we're going to resolve, we're going to deal with it. And we're going to really need you to guide us, and lead us, and direct us. Use your word, use other people in our lives. Use your spirit to speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom. God, for some of us, we need our perspective to change. We've got it all wrong. We've created something that doesn't exist in our own mind, and we need you to help us see clearly and see the truth. Lord, for some of us, help us know how to go back. God, how to to at least begin a process to fix some of the stuff that has been broken because of the way we reacted. Help us swallow our pride, even if in the conflict we were mostly right. Help us swallow the pride and ask forgiveness for the way we reacted. And God, for my my friends in this room who are hanging on, they're just they're just trying to trust you. God, would you give great grace today? Great patience. Just to keep being obedient to you and to let you work. To keep praying for the people involved and keep trusting that you're working on the hearts of people. God, I thank you that you haven't left us without hope or without encouragement and direction. Thank you for Esther's life and how she teaches us all these thousands of years later. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless your heart. Thank you. Amen. Before you go, Britain has a table out in the mall there. If you want to pre-order a CD that's coming out in November, you can do that. You can stop by Operation Christmas Child to get information. We also have prayer team members that are coming at this time. If you want prayer, they would love to take your hands and pray for you. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for letting me speak into your life. Have a wonderful day in Him.